airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, I think we had a problem right just then. It's always, you know, the question is always about the timing. If there's mm-hmm. going to be problems, um, which we're, we're aware of. And, and so many of our loyal listeners are like, what's what's the deal? And um, I don't know. We've tried different things, trying to work it out. Um, but we often find ourselves at the mercy of technology, making sure that it functions the way that it's supposed to function. And right. sometimes, um, quite frankly, it just embarrasses you. I mean, right. I mean, many people have been in the midst of, you know, presentations or, you know, whatever. I mean, Lord bless the sound man in all of our churches. Right. You know, I mean, sometimes sometimes it's just one of those things. And so anyway, uh, we just as we were coming ahead, just a little glitch. I wasn't ignoring you. It's just there was a sudden, oh, I can't hear anything that Will the Great is saying. I know I know what he's saying because I know how we do this. Uh, Anyways, welcome to the show. Um, Yesterday, we talked about. Um, the importance of church attendance and how there's this new Harvard study out mm-hmm. that confirms what the Bible has already taught us that uh, we need to not give up meeting together. Right. That as we see the day approaching, um, the way that the church body life is set up um, such that we need each other. We, we are built to be interconnected. Now I'm not talking about being codependent. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about, um, you know, this, Oh, I just, you know, you complete me type mumbo jumbo. That's not what I'm talking about at all, but I'm talking about, um, the benefits of the body of Christ um, are evident in the scriptures, and it's evident when the body functions as the body. In fact, the mm-hmm. description um, of us being the body of Christ is on purpose. It's not, I mean, that's that's not something that's accidental. Mm-hmm. Um, it really does paint this picture of um, no part of the body being uh, expendable, you know, saying, hey, I, I can do without that, you know. We're all necessary, and you can see the benefits of that. You can also conversely see um, the detriment or, or the deficit that is created when we are not gathering, when we're not meeting. Uh, there are some people who <laughs> you think, you know, well, I'm OK. You know, I'm OK to not have to, you know, go and, and be around other people. Mm-hmm. I'm OK. Um, and think about it. You take you take a step back. You really have arrived there based on your own self-examination. Right. Which you would not have to be subjected to if you were living in robust body life. <laughs> it would be other people's help in saying, hey, I see some rough edges here. Hey, I think we need to pray about this. Hey, you know, the Bible has something to say about this. We are made to grow together as the fellowship of believers. And now Harvard is finally catching up and saying that church attendance has uh, been found to mitigate those uh, deaths from despair. Those are the deaths that fall into the category of being the result of suicide, alcohol, or drug use. Mm. And uh, deaths from despair, remember that. Uh, But here was my point yesterday, and I I didn't get to this story about T.D. Jakes, and I wanted to bring that in before we go to our guest in the next segment. We're going to talk about um, the bulk of the time today will be spent talking about comprehensive sex education. You know, we've talked about that a lot on this show. We've dedicated, I want to say, maybe over the course of three days, looking at one curriculum in particular. 
um, in Austin. And just um, my aim is to implore parents to know what is being taught to their kids, to know how detrimental that is. So we're going to spend some time looking at some of the new research that's out that confirms that uh, CSE, comprehensive sexual education, as it's being, um, you know, expanded all across this country and in other parts of the world, uh, actually harms our kids. It mm. harms our kids. And 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 <laughs> anyway, so so hang with us on that. We'll yeah. get to that in the second and third segment of the show. Before we do that, though, mm-hmm. back on the topic of the necessity of the church, I was concerned okay. when I read this story from um, T.D. Jakes. He did a like mm-hmm. a Facebook live. You mm-hmm. know, he did a Facebook live. And um, the title of the article is a Christian Post story said T.D. Jake says using faith to flout social distancing precautions is foolishness and it's dumb. Hmm. Now, um, I would like to personally say I don't know anybody that did that. I'm not saying it didn't happen. Right. I don't know any right. pastors or Christians that I know in my sphere that said, I'm just going to tempt God and, you know, we're going to do this regardless. But I'm not saying it didn't happen. But, you know. No, anyway. and I'm sure I'm sure there may have been some people who um, maybe had that attitude mm-hmm. or that perspective on it, I you don't know? know. Um, no, <laughs> I, I don't. And I, and I don't think that that's, I honestly don't think that those are the stories that made a lot of the news headlines. I think what we witnessed was really faithful believers wanting to gather and saying, mm-hmm. why are you preventing this? Like, why are you right. stopping us getting together in times like this? We need each other. Like right. this, this is the time that we need to come together. But here is what um, what T.D. Jake said. And and again, and I'm not going to I'm not going to attack him on this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am using it as a part of the overall backdrop to the discussion yesterday. And so mm-hmm. I think our listeners can kind of arrive at their own conclusions uh, based on what they hear. So let me share a little bit with you from this article and then and then <laughs> let's converse around it. Uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes slammed Christians who flout social distancing guidelines as a demonstration of how their faith will protect them from the coronavirus as foolishness and dumb. And again, Will, to your point, not very many people I found doing that. Right. Not very many stories came out that um, that pointed to that. The opposite is pretty the, much true. You know. I think so. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So in this article, he is quoted here. And I started watching the Facebook Live and listening to him communicate because sometimes, you know, you can read words and then mm-hmm. there's a different tone. And I want to say, I don't think that when you hear his tone, I don't think that he was being condescending or mean. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell you, I do think that there was. <laughs> I think that there is a type of fear mongering that was coming from T.D. Jakes that I think um is really the opposite of what the Christian is called to. Like there was, I was, I don't, I don't know if I want to say I, I'm, I was surprised, but I was concerned, mm-hmm. especially because that's not usually what you hear coming from, you know, someone like a TD Jakes, mm-hmm. someone like, and I'm not putting TD Jakes and Tony Evans in the same um, boat. Right. Obviously they have different doctrinal views and, and things like that. Um, but they are considered leaders in the, in in Christianity, right? So people would be listening to what they are saying. And I would, I would say that what I would have expected to come from a TD Jakes would have been similar to what I would expect to come from a Tony Evans in that, you know, God has not given us a spirit of fear. That's what I would have expected the message to be. Um, But this is what TD Jakes said uh, in part in his um, Facebook live on Sunday. He said, I believe in faith. I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. I believe in the word of God, but I also believe in common sense. 
so now common sense is at odds with the Bible. Hmm. It's hmm. it's at odds with the word of God. And I would say at odds with the way maybe some Christians would try to execute biblical conviction. And this is what he went on to say. He said to, to put yourself in a situation where you disregard common sense, disregard it just to see if God has got you. Please don't do that. Um, again, this was a Facebook live. He says, okay. I'm on here talking to you because I'm concerned and I'm worried and I love you and I'm scared for you. I'm scared for all of us to the degree that I don't live in fear, but I don't make dumb decisions either. Now, you know, I don't know. I just. <laughs> that is antithetical to. I would say what is supposed to be the DNA of the Christian. Right. Like and it's, it and is it's, almost and it's different from what they normally preach. Like, yes, man. On OK, let's just, you know, no coronavirus. What would be normally preached is, you know, about faith, about, you know, like it, it would be a different. It's a different message that you usually hear coming from certain pastors, you know, but it seems like now that something real is here. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, wait, hold on. You know, let's shut everything down. And and it, you, you kind of get a different feel. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And, and and so listen, and, and to his credit, T.D. Jakes in this in this Facebook Live said that this is not about um, taking a political position on mm-hmm. this issue. And, mm-hmm. and I think that is so important to say. Right. I, I really do, because somehow in some of this discussion, it has become, oh, the conservatives are saying everybody needs to get right. out and, and oh, the liberals <laughs> right. are saying everybody needs to stay home. Well, I think that's ridiculous because I think that there are conservatives who are saying, I don't know. I don't know. True. We don't we don't True. know. You know, so I don't think that's a fair assessment. I guess the problem that I have here is that it, it does seem to have popularly speaking. All right. So from from the popular perspective, it seems that people, oh man, who tend to fall in a certain category they tend to all be saying the same thing, right? You know, mm-hmm. from the from the celebrities to the the newsmakers, even to I would say some of, not all of, but like the the public figures in in Christendom, if mm-hmm. if you will. Um, I don't know. I just feel like when you normally have a message that is, you know, get out of the boat. <laughs> like, right. right. That's the normal, <laughs> I mean, you know. The yeah. normal message from like a TD Jakes is, you know, get out of the boat, dab, dab, dab with the towel, get out of the boat, dab, mm-hmm. dab, dab with the towel. Right. You know what I mean? Walking across the stage, you know, and, and it is to trust the Lord. It's to trust the Lord. It's to put your faith in the Lord. And so I just feel like it's almost a message of convenience that you can trust the Lord when there is a certain amount of self-interest, mm. right? So if you want to expand your business, if you want, you know, financial freedom, if you, I mean, I don't know, trust the Lord, get out of the boat. And so mm. a lot of people see this as a motivational type speech where they're able to get out of the boat and they start businesses. And so they they credit TD Jakes with seeing their lives change and that invites us to get out of the boat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe on the other side is a new business venture or the writing of a new book is the same Christ who invites us to get out of the boat and come in fellowship with one another and, and trust him. And I don't think that this is a putting the Lord to the test. I think that this is a demonstration of how vital and how important the church is. And and I guess that would be the thing that, um, that really kind of, 
grieved may be a stronger word than I need to use at this point. It's not that this grieves me, It'll but bother, it concerns me. Yeah, yeah concern. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It bothers me. It does bother me because when when you go through like we did yesterday and you look at the scriptures and you look at what the Bible teaches that the necessity of the gathering of the body of Christ is and how we function together, how we are interconnected, how we are interdependent, you know, and to say it, you know, mildly, we do need each other. Mm -hmm. And then to have this Harvard study where the researchers are saying, Hey, we're concerned that churches have not been able to meet because we have found that regular church attendance Mm -hmm. actually is a mitigating factor in these deaths from despair. Yeah. And so when churches are not gathering and then despair is on the rise, (laughs) I mean, you know, and and I think a lot of people kind of have given the president some flack for the way he has expressed that there is going to be deaths that are not related to contracting this disease. But there are other factors going on that contribute to people, you know, dying. Yeah. Taking their lives, drug overdoses, alcoholism, all of these things, domestic abuse. And it seems to me that when you put all of this together, that if researchers are honest, they will say, you know, the president is telling the truth on that. Mm. He's telling the truth on that. You've got an increase of calls to suicide hotlines that have increased by 1,000%. I mean, think of how overwhelming that is. And at the same time, and at the same time, we are telling people to what we're saying. I, I know what we mean by this. But we're saying to people to socially distance. Mm-hmm. So at the same time that the need is great, the, the desire, <laughs> I would say, for many people who are hurting is to have help, is to have someone, um, figuratively speaking, mm-hmm. although in, in, you know when you start to talk about suicide, it could be literal, but figuratively speaking, there are people who are desiring that someone would talk them off the ledge. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we can't even show up. You know, we can't even do that. And so what my encouragement ultimately is in all of this from yesterday and in this first segment today, if we can put this all together as like kind of a show in a quarter, if you will, or show in a third. My call is to know what the word of God says about the the benefits of the church or the necessity of the church. Yeah. We don't need a Harvard study to tell us that the Bible is true. The Bible tells us that the Bible is true. That's right. The Bible is the only book that as you read it, it reads you. Mm. It searches you, right? As you're reading it, as you're, (laughs) man, come on, man. Y'all know you've you've had those times where you're sitting and you're reading and you're like, man, this is me. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, this is you. Mm. All right. We got to grab the break. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. God only knows what you've been through. God only knows what they say about you. God only knows how it's killing you. But there's a kind of love that God only knows. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to spend with us as we talk about the issues of the day. And we filter that information through a biblical lens. Um, we understand what the Word of God offers us by way of how we conduct ourselves. And I always find it interesting when there is research and there is data that just confirms, again, that what the Bible has taught us is actually true. And I came across this information um, earlier this month, and so I wanted to bring this information to you and have a conversation around it, and we'll do that in just a second. But first, let me just say again, welcome back to the program. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's for King and Country. God only knows. 
So there is new research that uncovers the major flaws in uh, comprehensive sex education. As you know, if you've been listening to this show for a long time, we spent about three days kind of breaking down one curriculum in particular um, where we went through almost kind of line by line um, looking at um, what is being taught to kids and and discussing the fact that uh, CSE is expanding in this country to say nothing of what's happening around the world. Well, um, uh, The Institute for Research and Evaluation um, has also come out with information saying that, no, we have factually proven Mm. that the information that is out there about CSE is untrue. And that information that is currently circulating is that comprehensive sex education is good and beneficial to kids. There was a report back in 2017 that claimed that kids are benefiting from comprehensive comprehensive uh, sexual education and in fact teaching them abstinence or delaying sexual activity is psychologically among other things psychologically harmful Mm. and so I wanted us to have a conversation around that just so that our listeners would be fully informed and then of course as always we'll put the links to this information in the show notes so that you can go back and read this for yourself you don't have to be uninformed about what is being taught to your kids in school. And helping us talk about this today is Irene Erickson, who is Senior Research Analyst for the Institute of Research and Evaluation and has been affiliated with the Institute for 18 years. I also think it's important to note that um, under the leadership of Dr. Stan Weed, uh, the Institute for Research and Evaluation has been doing research on sex education programs for over 30 years. And they've collected data for more than 900,000 teenagers. And that is important. When we start talking about um, how our kids are benefiting or how they're being adversely affected um, as a result of comprehensive sex education and the expansion of it, we need to talk to them, right? We need to get information directly Mm. from them. And certainly not only hear from those who have a vested interest in pushing this. They they stand to gain um, something from pushing this curriculum. So, yeah. um, Irene, thank you so much for joining us today. Let's start by sort of giving a background of the research that you guys have recently released. Thank you. I'm delighted to be on your show today. I appreciate that invitation very much. Um, yes, we this new study that we've just recently had published in an academic journal, a peer-reviewed journal, um, is a culmination of work we've done over the past, I would say, 15 years. Um, And what it does is it summarizes the research that has been done by other people on comprehensive sex education for the last 30 years. We went to three reputable agencies, the, the CDC, the Health and Human Services, and UNESCO, which is a subsidiary of the UN, and we looked at the studies they gave uh, credence to. They said these uh, have been vetted for scientific accuracy. And so we reviewed those studies that were designed to test the outcomes of comprehensive sex education programs in schools. The school is kind of the battleground, you know, for this Mm -hmm. debate, this public Mm -hmm. debate about sex education. So we focused on these programs in schools, and we then said, "What, what is the you know standard for an effective program? How would we know if the program's effective, and what would it be doing?" And instead of coming up with our own definition, we went to the broader field of the scientific field of prevention research, and said, "What are they recommending as acceptable research evidence for program effectiveness?" the Society for Prevention Research 
has created a consensus document that talks about some of those requirements. One of them is that the program should have a long-term effect. Another is that it should not produce negative, uh, important negative effects. Mm-hmm. And so we based our um, our review on a scientific, you know, found foundation of deriving it from what the field of prevention research said was an effective program. That's important because what I found as I read these studies is that programs that get called effective by people who, as you said, have a vested interest in having these programs, you know, pervade in the schools, they call a program effective if it has a short-term effect, but not a long-term effect. So, like, if the effect lasts mm. three, three or four months after the program ends, but then when you measure to see if the, if the improvement in teenage behavior lasts for 10 months after the program or 12 months, a year, and it goes away, if that goes away, that program still gets put on a list of effective programs by some of these other agencies. Or if it has an effect only for a subgroup of the, of the target population. So if they go into a school and they say, we're going to give this to all the kids in the school and it's going to work, but then the positive effect mm-hmm. is only for boys but not girls, or it's only for kids who are already mm-hmm. sexually active and didn't keep the kids that weren't sexually active from becoming sexually active, but that still gets called an effective program, which would really shock a lot of people to know that. But um, the teen pregnancy prevention program that was started in the previous uh, presidential administration, the Obama administration, they they mm-hmm. did a review of all these mm-hmm. studies, and they put programs like that that I'm just telling you, mm-hmm. programs that had short-term but not long-term effects or only effects for this, a subgroup of the of the teenage uh, school population, they will put the, those are on their list of effective programs. But we said, well, we think that with, we agree with the Society for Prevention Research and Blueprints for Healthy Youth Development, these agencies that have made this their specialty is to identify what programs are working. And so we said, does it have a long-term effect that lasts at least a year after the program? Mm -hmm. Does it affect the intended population? And does it have any negative effects? And when you do that, and then you look at the results of all of these studies that these other agencies have said are credible, you know, mm-hmm. we did not cherry-pick these studies, mm-hmm. um, what you find mm-hmm. is that in, in the U.S., for the school-based CSE programs, there were only three that met that standard out of 60. Mm-hmm. Wow. Three out of 60 wow. studies found a long-term effect on the intended population for one of the key, you know, protective outcomes without also having other negative effects. There were no programs that showed effectiveness at reducing pregnancy or STDs or increasing consistent condom use, which is the behavior that's required to really provide any real protection from STDs. And then outside the U.S., Mm -hmm. it was similar. There were only three programs out of three studies out of 43. Um, So worldwide, out of 100 and, and uh, three studies, we found only six that showed evidence of real program effectiveness. Wow. And on the other hand, you know, when you looked at how many programs produced harmful effects, mm-hmm. worldwide there were 16 studies. And in the U.S., there were, I think, seven. 
So more studies showed evidence of doing harm than evidence of real effectiveness. You know, I think it's so important for parents to be aware of this, which is why I think that if you have your kid um, in an environment where they are educated outside of your home, outside of any type of controlled environment where you have say over what is being taught to them, it would serve us best to know what what they are learning, not only about sex and sexual activity, but about their bodies and about how they identify and all of these different things. Because one of the things that I think is so shocking when parents hear this, they expect that. um, And, you know, and I don't know, Irene, I don't know why we are still here at this point. There's been so much research to show that there really are arterial motives when it comes down to how kids are being taught. Um, But parents tend to think the best. They tend to think that, well, if my kid is taught this new expanded um, sexual education curriculum, they think um, that the outcomes will be good. But according to your research, um, there's not the outcomes are not good. So you have higher rates, not only of sexual activity. And I want you to talk about this a little bit, but you have higher instances of forced sex and increased numbers of sexual partners, it's almost as if this um, curriculum or these curricula as they, you know, circulate across the country and get tweaked state by state, it's almost as if these curricula awaken a type Mm. of unhealthy desire in the kids who are being taught this information. Yeah. You know, there's a lot that, that you're not being told, you know, there's kind of a, I think a sex education industry and there's a lot of things they're not telling you, um, you know, one of them is that if you look at the, the studies, at least about half of them have been conducted by the person who designed the program and who's selling the program to school districts wow. and to state. So you talk again about a vested interest. There's right. a vested interest there. Um, the other thing is that the claim has been that this comprehensive approach where you teach condom use, and supposedly also abstinence in the same program. The argument or the rationale has been, this is more protective for the the whole total population of of teenagers because we know that some kids are having sex. And so if you go in and teach abstinence, you're not going to address the needs of the kids who are sexually active. But here, there's a lot of kind of dirty little secrets about that. One is that... Mm -hmm. In order for a comprehensive sex education program to provide better protection than an abstinence program, it would have to be increasing consistent condom use and also increasing abstinence. Because if it was only increasing condom use, condom use is not as protective as abstinence. Mm -hmm. So an abstinence program Mm -hmm. that increases abstinence at the same rate that a condom use program increases condom use is providing better protection. Because abstinence is 100% protection right. and condom use is not. Um, so, and there are none of the programs are, are accomplishing both of these, the increase in condom use and increasing abstinence in the same program. So their claim to being more protective is false. It's, based on, it's not supported by the research findings of the very studies designed to test these programs. Um, the other thing is that they claim that abstinence programs are harmful because they reduce condom use. And there's very strong research showing that that is not true from these same studies that have been authorized by these agencies. Um, And in fact, one of the abstinence programs 
showed an increase in condom use, even though they didn't teach it. Um, the other thing about the abstinence programs is that more of them have shown evidence of effectiveness than the CSE programs. I told you that in the U.S. there were only three CSE programs out of 60 studies that showed effectiveness, and for the abstinence programs, there were seven studies out of 17 studies. Seven programs out of 17 studies showed a 12-month uh, delay or, or uh, increase in teen abstinence. So that's a better, uh, better evidence of effectiveness than the, the condom program. The other thing they're not telling you is about the negative effects, as you were, you were mentioning. Um, you know, they underreport them. They'll say things like in the, in the reporting of the study findings, mm-hmm. they'll say, well, there were some un- unintended effects. But they don't tell you that those unintended, I mean, in the summary statement, the one that everybody reads, you know, the abstract, they'll say there were some unintended effects. Mm-hmm. Well, if you read the details like I do, I've read the details of all these studies. What you see is the unintended effects were it raised increased risk behavior, increased mm. rates of sexual activity or number of sex partners or um, reduced condom use. Mm. And so, you know, they'll use euphemisms like that, unintended consequences or the outcomes favored the control group. Well, that's a negative effect. It mm. means the control group that didn't get the program had better behavior, sexual behavior than the program group that got the program. Their behavior was worse. And so they under-report these negative effects. And right now there are six programs on the federal teen pregnancy prevention website that was instituted during the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. Six of these programs have had multiple negative effects, Mm. and they're still listed as effective programs. But those (laughs) negative effects are not apparent when you go on the website and you look at the summary of the program, if you even go to the summary of the research evidence, they'll show it as a, a yellow dot that says there, was, there were mixed results. That's another way they hide the negative effects. They call it mixed results, mm-hmm. which means there were some positive and some negative effects. So it's really hard to find that when you are, you know, a school board member or school principal who's looking for a good sex education program to put into your school. And you're told that this program is effective, but you don't realize that what they mean by effective is the the effects only lasted for four months and disappeared a year later. And by the way, it also increased some negative, you know, some negative behaviors. So it's kind of a scandal, I think, in a way that this, you know, there's, I don't know, it's just... No, it is. And, and I guess and I know we'll get to this. I know it's it's upsetting. I mean, you know, we as parents and, and, and largely the audience that we're speaking to are parents and mm-hmm. grandparents. And mm-hmm. we see the direction that our country is going in. We see right. the direction that our public education system is going in. And so it is frustrating to many of us because some of the questions that we have would be, you know, what is it that we're supposed to do? And I want to get to that. And we're going to have to take a break here and come back on the other side of that. But my questions would be, okay, so what are the steps that parents need to take? There, I also want to discuss some of the hidden harms that you're that you're alluding to. I want to unpack that just a little bit more. Uh, We got to grab the break, though. Aaron, the Addison's on American Family Radio. Uh, We'll take a break and we'll be right back.
Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's the Walls Group. All my praises goes to you. New research uncovers major flaws in comprehensive sex education, and that's what we're talking about today. We are often imploring parents to be proactive and to protect their kids, to know what they're learning, to know what the effects of what they're learning will be on them. And this is just a part of that. This is just how we continue on drilling down. Um, You know, so often parents show up, they do show up if they know where the harm is. Yeah. The problem is, is that we have a lot of people who have kept parents in the dark. Mm -hmm. And so parents are unable to show up, not unwilling, unable to show up because they just don't know that this is going on. So we're talking about this research today and joining us to discuss the harmful effects of um, comprehensive sex education. CSE is Irene Erickson, who's senior research analyst for the Institute of Research and Evaluation. And she's been affiliated with the Institute for 18 years, served for three years as a consultant with the CDC-supported Community Preventive Services Task Force, and also has had her information, her data presented um, to the U.S. Congress and the White House. Mm. And we're looking at some of the data that she has analyzed over the years. We talk about the harmful effects of comprehensive sex ed. One of the things that um, the Institute did, Irene, I want to talk about this is that it looked at sort of this um, false information, put it lightly there, false information that suggested that there was no um, psychological harm associated with um, teenagers engaging in premarital sex, right? In fact, there was data out in 2017, and your organization refuted this information, that suggested to teach children or to teach teenagers to wait Uh, for sexual activity um, for marriage, that that was psychologically harmful. And you guys also refuted that as well. I want to bring to our parents' attention at this point some of the harmful effects. And I think we have known this, but maybe sometimes we forget. But some of the harmful effects, the psychological harm that is done in particular to young girls who engage in premarital sexual activity. Yeah, it's it's ironic in these this day of the Me Too movement, you know, where we're all supposed right. to be so concerned about, you know, women being exploited, you know, for mm-hmm. their sexual uh, availability. Um, this issue of emotional harm, there's a lot of research showing that, um, especially for females, but also for, uh, in some cases, for ma- young males and the younger males especially, there is an increased risk for depression or mm-hmm. um, even suicide, uh, higher levels of regret, lower levels of life satisfaction. And, um, you know, again, it's like, you know, we're supposed to completely ignore that and then be worried about sexual um, discrimination in the workplace, you know. So to me, that's kind of the epitome of exploitation. And uh, the other thing that's going on that you don't hear about in terms of hidden harms is that while the teen pregnancy rate is going down, the STD rate for teens is going up, and it was already very high. In 2007, the CDC called it a hidden epidemic, and they reported then 
that one in four sexually active teenage girls had an STD. And for African-American girls, it was one, it was 44%, almost half of all African-American girls had an STD. To me, that ought to be a national outrage. That ought to be, you know, that's a crime. Let's go back to that. Let's go back to that. I want to stay there for a second. Because I was reading this in your research, okay? And I got to tell you, I, 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 I really kind of lost it internally there for a second <laughs> because there is so much conversation around, um, you know, the attacks on the minority community, right? Like they're, they're killing our men. They're killing, this is, you know, the destruction yeah. that's happening in the minority community. And when I read that information, I thought, wait a minute. It seems to me if we're constantly looking under every bush for those things that are harmful to the African-American community, those things are that are leading to, you know, our demise. And I'm using my quotes here. It seems to me that comprehensive sexual education would fall into that category when you have these kinds of numbers. So let's go back to that and kind of unpack that just a little bit so that everybody gets to hear it. When we talk about STDs and in particular, when we talk about HIV, what are some of the alarming numbers that we see in the minority community? Well, I think one thing that's important to uh, talk about is that during the last, you know, 10 years, when this initiative was put forward by the Obama administration that really pushed comprehensive sex education, it's during that time that condom use has gone down. And, and condom use is all that, you know, you have to protect you from STDs if you're sexually active. And it doesn't protect from some of the STDs that are spread uh, by skin-to-skin contacts, like, like uh, you know, herpes. That's, mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. a lifelong, um, that's a lifelong infection. You know, right. you never get rid of it. And it's, it's also a source of emotional distress mm-hmm. to girls that have this. You know, it's embarrassing. It's painful. It's awkward. And, you know, so we're not talking about, you know, we just, we just kind of, you know, sweep that under the carpet and don't, and ignore it like it's not happening. But these things are really damaging and they cause, um, some of these STDs cause infertility, they cause fetal mm-hmm. pregnancy, they cause cervical cancer. Um, you know, so these are really, you know, important harms that are happening. Yes. And yet, you never hear them talked about. I don't think in a TV show you you would watch where, you know, they're having a lot of sex. I'm not up to speed on modern television. But, for example, you know, Friends, the, the iconic show from, you know, the previous generation. <laughs> did they ever, any of them ever get an STD? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. did they ever talk about that? I don't know. Maybe they did. I know somebody got pregnant. But, you know, an STD can be a really life-changing mm-hmm. and not to mention dangerous uh condition and it can be spread to unborn babies so 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 your research has discovered and and reported that sexual activity is disproportionately and i just i just want to go back to this because again i feel like there is often a national conversation that is happening about disparities and um, certainly disparities among ethnic groups in all kinds of areas okay Mm -hmm. economic you know all kinds of areas but when specifically we're talking about comprehensive sexual education um, it shows that there was a certain selective outrage over the things that we're going to march on behalf of and the things we're just going to ignore. Because when we have yeah. expansive um, curricula that is almost enticing kids, young young kids, 
to engage in sexual activity outside of marriage, we know that it exposes them to these STDs. So, so again, in the U.S., and, and these are alarming numbers to me, in the U.S., almost one half, 44% of African-American teenage girls has had an STD. And among female oh, half, teens... Has an STD. Has. has an STD now. And the other thing, Nikki, is that it's not just that. They have much higher rates of sexual abuse, you know, mm. and of um, teen pregnancy. They are, you know, and they're stuck with the, you know, the results of that pregnancy. And there are high rates of abortion in the African-American community. Yes. 40% of teenage pregnancies for African-Americans end in abortion. That has emotional impact. You know, these are very high rates, and it's similar for the Hispanic population as well. Mm. Um, so where's the concern? As you say, the outrage, the selective, the outrage seems really selective about this. When these are our children, you know, these are, yeah. these are kids right. that are, they didn't, you know, this is just happening to them. It's nothing they thought out or, you know, right. are experiencing because of, of their bad behavior. They're just following what the culture the path the culture lays out for them and says, do this, right. you'll be popular. Right. right. Because this is normalized, mm-hmm. um, our kids now see this as a normal part of life and they don't understand the psychological impact of engaging in premarital sex has on them. Certainly the physical aspect, the attacks on their bodies. They don't understand this um, because this has become normalized in our culture and now uh, normalized in our public education mm. system. Will, I know you had a question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just one question. And just listening to this and all this information, you know, I'm thinking, I just want your opinion on this. Do you think this is um, a sinister uh, operation that, that's happening? Hmm. You know, and if so, what is the, the end game? Like, why would uh, there be such a move to like to hurt our children in, in this way? Hmm. Wow. That is such a good question. Yes. Well, um, and, you know, it's hard to get inside somebody else's head yeah. and know what they're thinking. But let me give you a couple of examples just from kind of, you know, the websites and things of these places. For example, the International Planned Parenthood Federation has produced a booklet called Healthy, Happy, and Hot. And it's, it's, it's produced for teenagers who have HIV infection, who've been infected. Oh, and in that book, they teach them that they can choose whether and when to tell their partners that they have AIDS, they have HIV. Wow. In other words, they have a right to have sex mm-hmm. with somebody without telling them that they have HIV. To me, that's sinister. Yeah, that and wow. similarly, some of, the, some of these CSE programs, like one of them that's very popular, they teach kids, 13-year-old kids, that you can, how to make condom use popular, or I'm sorry, pleasurable. They say, hide a condom on your body and get your, your partner to find it, you know. Wow. Uh, they teach them stuff like that, or take a shower together. Um, they teach oh, these 12 Lord. and 13-year-olds, you can decide when you're ready for sex. Well, how does a 13-year-old girl decide she's ready for sex? And who helps her decide that? Does she talk to her parents about it, or does she talk to her 15-year-old boyfriend? Mm, and what do you think right. his advice is? Right. Do you think he thinks she's ready for sex? You know, right. I think there's a real sinister feel to a lot of this. So, mm-hmm. I, you know... Yeah. That's my, I guess, the best I can So, say. Irene, so then, 
so so here we here we are then Irene and you know based on the research and based on the the data the information that is out and and we know that the adoption of comprehensive sexual education curricula is expanding across the country and parents as they learn about it are concerned as they um, begin to get their hands on some of these binders we know parents are just I mean they are disturbed by what they consider to be uh, pornographic education really um, that is being directed at their children what do you think parents yeah, need to be <laughs> Yes, yes. What do you think parents need to be doing right now? How can we remain vigilant? Well, first to know, try to find out the content of the sex education that's being presented in your school. Um, that can sometimes be hard to do, but they're supposed to make it available. And then um, find out from your school district what, you know, what their standards are. Um, one of the things that's been very effective that I've participated in is if you have a hearing at a school board uh, meeting or a state legislative meeting and you have people come and testify about the actual content of these programs and then I can come in and say or someone can present our research and say, you know, the argument has been that you have to use this comprehensive sex education because it's working and it's the only thing that works. And what the actual research shows is it isn't working. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to use it because it works, because it doesn't work. Right. Mm-hmm. And that abstinence education actually has better evidence of effectiveness. And you need to look for a different paradigm be- that's different from this condom-based or comprehensive sex education. So I think, you know, it's the same old thing. Parents need to get active mm-hmm. and fight back. And that's hard. Parents are busy. Parents are working. Parents are trying to help their kids do their homework at nine o'clock at night when everybody's tired. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been there. I've done that. But I actually went and listened to the sex education presentation that Planned Parenthood did in my uh, son's high school class, embarrassed him to death. He was just mortified that I showed up. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I wanted to know. And yeah. I had a talk with the, the classroom teacher afterwards, and she was kind of, uh, you know, startled at some of the things I shared with her about the facts about what had been presented, you know, in the classroom to the kids. Mm. Irene, so, I just, uh, yeah. I know we're, we're, we're almost out of time here, but I would like for you to share um, some website information with our parents listening. They're going to want to get their hands on this study, maybe connect um, with the Institute for Research and Evaluation. What's the best way for our listeners to do that? Okay. Our website is institute-research.com. Okay. Okay. Institute, you know, just like it's spelled, institute-research.com. And there's a, a link you can click on there that says news, uh, comprehensive sex education study. You click on the, on the main page and it takes you to a web page that gives you um, a summary statement, links to not only the published article, but also to a, a little more detailed um, report of the findings. And some other material. There's some videos on there of us yes. talking about the findings and that that are available. Very so, good. And um, we're going to make sure that we put a link to this in our show notes. Um, we really appreciate the time. Irene Erickson, Senior Research Analyst for the Institute for Research and Evaluation. We're going to continue talking about this. Why? Because I'm not ready to give up on parental protection of our kids. Right, I'm not ready right. to walk away from that and say, oh, you know, well, there's nothing else we can do. I mean, you know, the toast is not popped up yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's right. keep fighting for our kids yeah. and protecting their innocence. To. Guys, we have to do this. We have to care about our children. 
All right. Amen. We're out of time for today. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.